Please would you come with me to Romans chapter 16. Page numbers are on the yellow sheet if that helps you. Romans chapter 16. What do you have open in front of you? Well, hopefully Romans chapter 16. But what is it you have open in front of you? Well, it's a letter. You have a letter open in front of you. Some religions have a book of myths with meanings that they wouldn't even pretend are true. They're myths, but they have a meaning. Some religions have collections of sayings. But we have a letter written by a real person, Paul, written to real people living in a city, Rome, Written at a time in history, AD 57, give or take a year or two. And written under God's supervision, so it is now God's message for all people everywhere. But it's still relevant that it is a letter. And it's still relevant whom it was written to. What were these people like? Well, you can find out quite a lot from chapter 16. It's a chapter that tells us what those Christians then were like. Okay, only a little bit, but it actually it tells us enough that we can learn quite a lot from it. It tells us what we should be like. And it tells us, therefore, what a gospel-shaped church should be like. And that's our subject this morning. We've been going through Romans for a long time, getting obviously towards the end as we're in the last chapter. Let's find out from Romans 16, what will a gospel-shaped church be like? And the first thing we find out is, it's full of people who are in Jesus Christ. Now, since we're finding out what a gospel-shaped church will be like, at each stage I want to remind you of something about the gospel we've heard in Romans. And then you'll see the church in described in chapter 16, is shaped by that gospel. So Romans started with telling us that we are sinners. It went to lengths to show us that we have broken God's law and we are guilty and we're not up to the standard that God requires. We've not acknowledged God as God. We've lived as if he either isn't there or he's just there to help us out if we're in trouble. And Romans has told us God doesn't accept sinners. In fact, he is angry with sinners and judges and punishes them. And yet Romans claim to be a book of good news, so how can there be good news for such people? Well, Romans said, the way there can be good news for you is this, you need to be in Jesus Christ. The key to it is to be in Jesus Christ. You see, he's the one and only man who has not broken God's law, never broken God's law. He's the one and only man who has come up to God's standard, who has acknowledged God in every way. He is the son God is well pleased, fully pleased with. And so the only way that we can be accepted is to belong to him, to Jesus. So that all of his law-keeping can cover all of our law-breaking. So all of his goodness can wash out our badness. So that his death for sinners can count for us. 
Why should a man, 2,000 years ago, dying on a cross, be able to do anything for us? Oh, the answer is you need to belong to him. Be in him. So he's not any old man 2,000 years ago. He's the one you belong to. And what he did counts for you. But it only counts for you if you are one of his people. You're in him. You belong to him. And that is the gospel according to Romans. It all depends on being in Jesus Christ. And so we come to chapter 16 and we find the church is full of people who are in Jesus Christ. Just have a look and see the phrase repeated so many times. I won't read you all of them, but let's get a few examples. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Verse 11, greet those in the household of of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord. And there are more. In the Lord, in Christ, in Jesus, repeatedly down this chapter. That's what a gospel-shaped church is like. It's full of people who are in Jesus Christ. Now, how the chapter begins is relevant to this. Verse 1 and 2. Hasn't got exactly the same phrase, but it's very relevant. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in St. I ask you to receive her in the Lord. Receive her in the Lord. That's very, that's very significant language because the word receive there is the same word translated accept elsewhere. Would you just turn back to chapter 14, verse 1? We looked at this a few weeks ago. Chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. Why should you accept the person with weak faith? Well, the end of verse 3 tells you, for God has accepted him. Same word as receive in chapter 16. You've got the same in chapter 15, verse 7, if you just turn to 15, verse 7. Accept one another. Why should we accept one another? Well, that actual verse tells us, just as Christ accepted you. Who's in the church? People who are in Christ because they've been accepted by God. They've been accepted by Jesus to belong to him, to come in and be one with him. Who's in the church? Those God has accepted. It is not to be broader than that and it is not to be narrower than that. I know I made exactly this point a few weeks ago, but I think it needs being made again. Who's in the church? Those whom God has accepted. Let's think of some examples. I'm making these up, by the way, but you'll find churches like this all over the place. St Edmund's is a parish church, and it's generally accepted there that if you live in the parish and you turn up to church occasionally, you're part of the church. They won't question too closely what you believe in. Uh, They'll turn a blind eye to unrepentant sin because they don't want to rock the boat. Because anyone in the parish is regarded as part of the church. There's one example. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Here's another example. Ebenezer Strict Baptist Church. 
Harry has moved into the area and he'd really like to be part of the church. And the elders of the church, they question him and they say, well, it seems to us that God has changed your heart. And as far as we can tell, Jesus has accepted you. But sorry, we can't because you haven't been baptised by immersion. Not enough water used. Now, both St Edmund's and Ebenezer, possibly with good motives, are turning the church into their club rather than the church of Jesus Christ. Because whom they accept is either broader or narrower than who Jesus accepts. And I've probably trodden on some toes there, but I hope you'll think about and take that seriously. A gospel-shaped church is full of people who are in the Lord. Now that means if you don't belong to Christ this morning... We are very glad you are here. You are very welcome and I hope you'll feel welcome. And please keep coming. But please also understand you're not actually part of the church. The church isn't just who turns up. It's who belong to Christ. But we wish you were part of the church. Oh, we'd love to welcome you in as part of the church. And first you must be in Jesus Christ. And that's not a complicated thing. It doesn't mean you've got to turn up for a year first because it happens by, well, it's just like I said to the children in the children's talk. It happens by recognising you need Jesus. It happens by admitting you've lived as if God isn't God. But you believe that Jesus can change and forgive you and you ask him to do so. You ask him to be king over your life. That's not a complicated thing, is it? That's a simple thing. And God loves to hear and to respond to such prayers. If you sincerely pray that, God will take you into his family and become your father who loves you. How amazing that I could say that, boldly and as simply as that. That God will. I don't say God might. I think he might. No, God will take you into his family and care for you as his child. And it isn't just a nice thing so you can become part of the church. It's a necessary thing. So you can be ready for that day when you are going to meet with God and he's going to examine you and either take you to himself in heaven or send you away from himself into hell. You need to be in Jesus Christ. What's a gospel-shaped church like? It's full of people who are in Jesus Christ and secondly, who work hard. Now, again, let's start with the gospel we've heard in Romans. The gospel we've heard in Romans said this. I'm going to read to you from chapter 4, verse 5. In chapter 4, verse 5, it said, To the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, when it says to the man who does not work, it doesn't mean he's on unemployment benefit. It means he's not working to make himself a Christian. It's not a matter of what does he do. You see, Romans has this magnificent, outrageous teaching that God declares us right and accepts us. Nothing to do with our works, but all because of Jesus' works. Living the life we should have lived dying the death we deserve to die. 
And if we're in him, all of that is counted to us and all of our sin is counted to him. Not because of us doing things, but because of what Jesus did. It's not that we work hard to make ourselves Christians. That has been the repeated message of Romans. But then we got to chapter 12, verse 1, and it said this. Chapter 12, verse 1 said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then Romans says, because of this magnificent, outrageous mercy, we work. We devote ourselves to God and work for his glory. Now do you see, we are saved not by our works, but being saved causes us to work for God. The order matters. Now someone might say, well that's just rather fussy, isn't it? You're just making a fuss about the order, because you're saying we should work for God, but just don't do it before you become a Christian, do it after. You're just being fussy about order. Well, imagine you're having your driving test. And you get to a junction, and what do you do? You swing the wheel and you turn into the junction. And then you put the indicator on, and then you look in your mirror. Yeah? And they fail you, of course. You say, but I did mirror signal manoeuvre. I did mirror signal manoeuvre. Don't be fussy about the order. They'll still fail you. Order matters, doesn't it? And in this case, order matters because it shows what you are trusting in. Are you trusting in what the Lord Jesus did and then responding to it? Or are you trusting in what you do and working to, by your own efforts, make yourself a Christian? So, here in chapter 16 we find the church is full of people who are in Christ and they're trusting what he did and then they are working hard out of devotion to God. See the repeated phrase in chapter 16. I'll give you a few examples again. Verse 6, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. And there are many other examples, you can see them for yourself. Repeatedly, we find here are people that are in the Lord, they're trusting him, and then they're working hard. And this work takes a variety of forms. Let's just see some of the ways that they worked. First one, Phoebe. Phoebe's a very interesting person. It says she's a servant. Footnote says, is that a deaconess? Is it an official position called deaconess, or is it... We don't really know, and it doesn't really matter. The point is she's working hard, and... In verse 2 it says, she has been a great help to many. The word great help there is probably best translated patron. Do you know what a patron is? Prince Harry is patron of the Invictus Games. What's a patron? it's, It's a person who uses his wealth or position to support a cause. And it seems likely that Phoebe was a wealthy woman who used her wealth or her position to support the work of the gospel. There's one way of working. But here's a different way, verse 3. 
Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. How did they? We don't know. But they were around when there was a riot in Ephesus and Paul was in danger. Maybe that's when they risked their lives, trying to rescue Paul from the riot that was going on. Verse 6. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. She worked for the Christians. She's worked in some way for their good. Verse 10, Apelles seems to be someone who's done well in Christian service. Don't know quite what, but it's described slightly differently. Verse 13, the mother of Rufus has been motherly. And unlike our society, the Bible knows what motherly means. It means she's gently, considerately and self-denyingly put herself out for others. That's motherliness. Verse 22. Tertius has used his writing skills. Put them to work. Verse 23. Gaius was probably a wealthy man who'd used his house for good purposes. He's got a sizable house. He can have the Christians meeting in it. He can invite travelling Christians round and put them up for the night. Verse 23, Erastus is a civil servant, probably a high-ranking one. And we find out in Acts he went on a mission trip with Paul. Now the point is there's such a variety of work because the gospel needs that. I reckon our carol service is quite a good example. Our carol service is an attempt to make the gospel known. And it's pretty obvious it needs someone to lead it and someone to speak, but it's also pretty obvious that just that person on his own won't be good enough. Because you need people to get the building ready, people to play music, people to make food for afterwards, people to organise that, people to invite friends, people to deliver the leaflets, sending out invitations, people to produce those leaflets in the first place, and on you could go. A variety of workers together for the gospel. That's what we need, that's what they had. It's not just the obvious roles that matter. And you can see that, well let's look a little more at these people who are in Christ and working hard. Have a look at those names in front of you. What do you notice about them? One of the things that's often been commented on in this chapter is, many of them are women. Now, we as a church hold to the Bible's teaching that Paul was very explicit about and gets a lot of flack for, which is that men and women are different and have different roles and that leadership of the church is to be male. The authoritative teaching of the church is to be done by men. That's what the Bible says. I know it's very unpopular, but we as a church hold to it. And we've got no reason to be embarrassed about that because it is good and it is far better than what our society says, which is so confused and contradictory on the whole issue of male and female. We hold to that. But at the same time, do notice how prominent women are here. What important roles they took. Phoebe is a servant and patron of the church. Priscilla in verse 3. It's interesting, Priscilla is always mentioned in, before her husband. Some husbands might not like that, but she is. And she served the church in multiple ways. Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa and Persis, we're told, worked very hard in the Lord. 
Rufus's mother was a mother to Paul, and mothers are a necessity. That's one of the things it's saying about her. She was very necessary to me. The New Testament is clear on male leadership in the church, but it's also clear the church would have folded up without the highly regarded role of women within it. So there's one thing to notice about these people. Here's another thing to notice that we we could easily miss. Us English people, or or let's put it this way, those who are not Romans. Any Romans here today? Yeah, we have someone who's sort of half Italian. But any ancient Romans here today? If we're not, we'd easily miss this because it's in the names. The names tell you something. Now, uh, let me try to illustrate it like this. If you meet a brother and a sister called Rupert and Henrietta Ponsonby Smith, what do you know about them? Well, if you come from another culture, you might say nothing except their brother and sister. But if you're English, you say, yes, we do know. We know they're posh, don't we? <laughs> yes, because they're called Rupert and Henrietta Ponsonby Smith. Now, I, I thought of various other examples, but I wouldn't say in case I say someone's name by mistake and classify them. But, you see, when you come from a culture, you can read into the names, and it's true here in Romans 16. These names don't mean much to us, but in Roman culture, they would know. Many of these are names that show this person was a slave or an ex-slave. Yes, the church had some rich people like Phoebe and Gaius, but it was mainly poorer people. In fact, a large portion of the church was made of slaves. The gospel, in other words, gospel work does not rely on status. It doesn't rely on education. If you're proud of your status and your education, watch out. Don't bring that into the church. God doesn't need it. Oh, yeah, there's many benefits, but God doesn't need it. It doesn't doesn't rely on opportunities in society. It doesn't rely on brilliant abilities. If you've got them, well, thank God and put them to good use. But it doesn't rely on that. Think of what a slave was like. A slave was regarded as subhuman. A slave would not be spending time on issues of guidance thinking, now what does the Lord want me to do? Does he want me to be a missionary or a shopkeeper? Because he had no choice. He just had to do that day what his master told him to do that day. Absolutely no choice. A slave would have very little spare time. A slave would have a very good use, uh, very good excuse, it seems to us, for not working hard for the Lord. Because he's worn out after a day working hard for his master. A slave would probably be poorly educated maybe even illiterate. But these slaves here in chapter 16 were amazed at God's magnificent, outrageous mercy. And so they worked hard for the gospel and God used them. Is that you? Whether you're female or male, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're clever and well-educated or not, whether you've got lots of free time or not, is not really relevant to this. If you are devoted to God because of his magnificent, outrageous mercy, he can use you in his church. What will a gospel church be like? Full of people who are in Christ Jesus and who work hard. Thirdly, while knowing they need God to work. 
knowing they need God to work. Now again, let's start with the Gospel we've seen in Romans. The Gospel according to Romans says, no one seeks God. Do you know that? Oh yeah, people seek things from God, people seek fulfilment from God, but no one left to themselves seeks God. It said that in chapter 3, verse 11. Well, if no one seeks God, how did anyone ever find God? I hope you know the answer. If no one seeks God, how did anyone ever find God? The answer is, he came seeking them and changed them to make them into a God-seeker. Romans has been telling us it's God's work. Chapter 8 says, those he predestined, he saw and set his love on. He called, he called them to himself. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And don't miss the little word there that is the key to that. He, he did it, he did it, he did it. It's his work. The Gospel according to Romans says, you can't save yourself. It's God's work. He works in you. And so the church isn't just a human organisation of people working hard. It's a group of people who know they need God to work. They did at the start and they still do now. And so we get that little phrase in verse 20. Have a look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. A gospel-shaped church is aware it's in a spiritual battle. There is an enemy called Satan and he's too strong for us to deal with on our own. We need the God of peace to crush Satan under our feet. It's a very interesting phrase that. We could spend the whole sermon on that phrase. He's the God of peace. Oh, people like that. He's the God of peace. But it doesn't mean he's a cuddly teddy bear. It means he is a mighty warrior who brings peace by crushing his enemies. And notice who crushes Satan. He crushes Satan, but under our feet. You might know that there was a promise, wasn't there? Right back in the Garden of Eden, that someone would come who would crush Satan. It was Jesus. And as Jesus died, he inflicted a deadly blow on Satan that he has never recovered from. But he's still alive, and he still causes trouble, Like an animal that knows it's mortally wounded and thrashes around and catches you with its claws. But as we spread the gospel, we expose Satan's lies. We tell people that Jesus has won at the cross. We're bringing on the day when Satan will be completely crushed, finally, forever. Thrown into the lake of fire. God is doing it, but under our feet. That's amazing, isn't it? And I think this should also change how we pray. I'd like to make a little comment here on how we pray. I I think that too often we pray, God help me to do such and such. Now, I'm not at all trying to discourage you from praying, God help me to. We need to. We, We read in Psalm 27, God is my helper. But I find a different emphasis in the Bible, and it's this. God, would you do this and use me as you do it? You might say that's almost the same as saying, God help me, but do you see there's a different emphasis? We often pray a bit like this, God, we're going to do this, this and this, and would you, we want you to help us in it, as if he just helps us out. Whereas the Bible's emphasis is, God, we need you to have plans of mercy. 
We need you to look on us with love and tenderness and and take action out of mercy and grace and power. And as you're doing it, please use us. Fellow Christian, just have a little think about that and see, do your prayers need a change of emphasis from just God help me to God would you do this and use me? We need that. And we also need the second half of verse 20. A gospel-shaped church is aware it needs the second half of verse 20. Do you see it? The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. What's grace? It's undeserved favour from God. It's undeserved goodness from God. And a gospel-shaped church always knows it needs it. Never moves on from needing grace. As... As I preach this, I am aware of what sins I've committed and that I don't deserve to be part of Christ's church, let alone have any leadership of it. So how can I have any hope that what I say today will do any good? I know what a sinner I am. How can I have any hope it will do any good? Only if the Lord Jesus, despite my sin, takes and uses these words and gives his spirit to make my words sink into your heart and change your life, and my life too. And if the Lord Jesus does that, it will be grace. Because I don't deserve for that to happen, and neither do you. You see, a gospel-shaped church isn't full of people who say, oh yeah, we're saved by grace, and then carry on forgetting it. No. A gospel-shaped church is full of people who know we never move beyond needing grace. I hope you're still aware of that. I hope you're not relying on anything else. You know, you can easily, can't you, after you've been a Christian for a few decades, you rely on your track record. You rely on, well, you don't even think about what are you relying on. You just chunter on. We still rely on the grace of Jesus. We have no fruit apart from his undeserved goodness. Well, because Romans is a real letter, it has these personal details at the end. And we could easily skip over them, couldn't we? I wonder if you expected this list of greetings to be preached on. In fact, this morning, one of my daughters said to me, what are you preaching on this morning, Daddy? And I said, Romans 16. And she had a look at Romans 16. She said, why are you preaching that? I said, because it's God's word. But also, do you know what? It's a list of Christians, and there's a lot you can learn about Christians from it. Well, I hope you've seen that. This, this chapter gives real, a real-life picture of the church then, showing us what a gospel-shaped church will be like. It will be full of people who are in Jesus Christ and who work hard for the gospel while knowing they need God to work. They still rely on the grace of the Lord Jesus. Does that describe Hollywell? Does that describe us? And are you part of the us? Verse 